This episode of Okie Podcast is brought to you by Southwest Trading Company. If you've not been to Southwest Trading Company, please go do that right now or after this podcast. But the location for Southwest Trading Company is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Southwest Trading Company has so many items from so many different artists like jewelry, art, blankets, cedar boxes, clothing, collectibles. You name it, they got it. So why not shop at Southwest Trading Company? Go like the Facebook page, follow the Facebook page. To keep up with all new events coming out the store and items. And once again, that location is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go check them out and let them know Russ from Okie Podcast sent you. Welcome back to Okie Podcast, and on this episode, I have owner of Native Oklahoma Magazine, Adam Proctor. How you doing? He's here. He made it. <laughs> yeah, I don't get out much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. I think it's really awesome that you know you wanted to come on and uh, talk about everything you do, man. I mean. Uh, talking a little bit earlier but but you you said you've you've been running the magazine for 10 years now Mm -hmm. yeah 10 years 10 years uh be august be 10 years wow and when i started i had a partner um she owned uh native american times newspaper Mm -hmm. and she had run that i started there to back up a little bit, I started at, uh, I actually graduated in issue with an architect type degree. And so when I moved to Tulsa, uh, I worked for different uh, civil engineering firms, architect firms for the first six years out of college. And we were designing everything from churches to casinos. And when the economy tanked in 2005, 2006, the first persons or the first businesses that got laid off were all the engineering firms, all the architect Mm -hmm. firms. And they kind of looked at it like that was the canary in the coal mine kind of a deal. So when all those close, then you know the economy's going down. And so that's how I learned it. But Mm -hmm. uh, I was unemployed that summer in 2005, and a friend of mine, we were at the Tulsa Powwow, he says, hey, I, I hear you're looking for a job. I said, yeah, I've been on my third month unemployed. And he goes, hey, we're looking for some help over here. Um, I said, what is it? And he says, it's the Native American Times newspaper. 
and we're needing a, an extra sales rep. And I guess I don't know anything about the newspaper. I don't know anything about sales. So he goes, don't worry about it. We'll train you. We'll teach you. You know, it's easy. You can, you know. So I get in there, do the interview. They explain it to me. And I realize it's a cut and pay uh, from what I used to do. Mm-hmm. But at the time I was unemployed. So anything was better than nothing. So I said, okay, show me. And I was going through a divorce at the time, that same summer. That was like June of that summer, I got laid off, and then she left, and then took everything out of the house. Ooh, <laughs> dang! So that was that was my summer. That's how I remember. But wow! Uh, so I took the job and started working there, and they were showing me the ropes. And uh, I knew about the newspaper, but didn't really know it. So when I got in there, I got to see everything about the newspaper, how it worked, you know, the writers, the, the sales, um, got to look at all the stories and meet all the people that we were interviewing and writing about. And so I was struggling as a salesperson because I didn't know anything about sales. And I think about the second month I was there, the ex calls up and says, uh, you know, like she found out where I worked. And so she calls me up tells me you know what am I doing here I didn't go to school for that I didn't train for this I didn't I don't know how to sell what are you doing selling anyway this is not your job you should be in the architect and like for 20 minutes like you know, you suck as a salesperson I wouldn't buy nothing off of you and for 20 minutes it's like everything that you know you could tell someone that they ain't worth it that's what she did mm-hmm. so I hung up on her and sat there for a few minutes like all right I'm gonna show her and I, like, like I said, it was a cut and pace. I was getting half of what I used to make. But inside of a year, I was making more on sales commissions than I was at my old job. So that was in from that time on till today. Uh, I've never had a, um, a so-called nine to five job mm-hmm. where you clock in and clock out. Never had to. I've always worked on my own, made my own money, um, did my own thing and as a consultant or as a outside contractor uh, up until, you know, the magazine started. So at that point I was like, all right, I'm going to show her. And I did. I was like, okay, I've been doing it ever since. So, but at that time it was just a newspaper, a weekly newspaper. And the lady that I knew, she was the layout person for the newspaper. So she did all the layout each week. And after I had left and uh, moved on, the old owners sold her the newspaper. And so she was running it from 2007 up until 2013. And so I came back and I was also the, uh, when I was an outside sales rep for some other companies, I was also the um, state board president for the American Indian Chamber of Commerce. So I was on the board for six years uh, served as president for two, and during that time, I saw everything under the sun as far as uh, publications and who was reporting what. Because at that time, Tulsa World, Daily Oklahoman, they weren't writing articles about Indian country, you know, unless it was major. But uh, they didn't do, you know, weekly stories on what was going on uh, with the tribes or with the communities or anything. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that back then, I thought, okay. Native American Times, Indian Country Today were at that time were the only two new weekly newspapers that were coming out in Oklahoma and there was no magazine. And so when I asked her in 2000, 2013 what she, you know, 
she knew the newspaper at that time was going down because a lot of people, uh, newspapers were closing. And so I asked her, you know, what she thought about partnering and starting a magazine, doing, you know, the same thing you're doing, but doing the monthly format. And she thought about it and said, okay, um, let's do that. So she kept running the newspaper while we were working on the magazine. And after a couple of years, when the magazine finally dropped, we converted everything, all the ads and all the stories we converted into a magazine format and kept going. And, and so that's how the magazine started. It rolled over from the newspaper into a magazine format. And, um, a few years after that, I think it was about four years after we were partnering together, she did all the writing, um, uh, bookkeeping, uh, distribution. I did the sales and she did the social media stuff. So when that was done, uh, she came out, you know, her, her parents had, uh, her mom had passed away. Uh, her dad was in bad health. Her sons were struggling. And she said, you know, I'm done. I've been doing this for too long on my own. I'm ready to move on. And so I bought her out in 2018. So Whoa. from then on until now, I've been running it. But I realized then that because she was doing everything, um, I knew I needed help. <laughs> I needed a team. I needed a, 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 a nice graphic designer, um, a, a comfortable print company I can work with, reporters. Um, I need another salesperson. I need another social media person that can help me on the, on the website and uh, the Facebook page and all that stuff, the Twitter and the Instagram. And I didn't know any of that because she took care of everything. So I've been constantly looking for um, social media people, um, writers. You know, uh, I got a graphic light uh, designer. She does great what she's doing. I contract that to Red Sky. So everybody I work with are native-owned companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Sky Solutions does the layout, um, direct mail, target marketing out of Broken Arrow. They're, it's a native woman-owned print company. So they print the magazine for me. Um, the writers, you know, we're all well-known. They they write for all their own tribal newspapers, uh, but they also send me stuff too, so that's how I can get by with that. But sales and social media, I've like I said, I've gone through uh, many ad agents and contract social media people. Um, none of them worked out, and, you know, I'm still searching for that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the stories are now coming to me like clockwork. Um, COVID almost killed me because um, everything shut down. Uh, the magazine is like an entertainment cultural magazine. But when COVID hit, all of those venues and all the tourist the attractions, all the entertainment venues shut down. And and I lost all my, I lost a good 80% of the ads that were in the magazine uh, because of that. So, but the saving grace was, uh, healthcare ads, insurance people were coming in, you know, buying up ads for the magazine mm-hmm. and the PPP kicked in and that helped out. But if it wasn't for those, I thought, man, what am I going to do? Because it all happened inside of three weeks Whoa. and I was looking for anything and everything trying to keep the magazine going, you know? So, um, it was a struggle, but yeah, I, I made it this far so far. So I know, 
I realize now that the magazine's COVID proof. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and that's, you know, um, now I see Daily Oklahoma and Tulsa World, The Journal, KOSU, RSU. I mean, they're all doing now weekly stories on the Native community, Native Indian country, and which is great. But at the same time, to me, I think um, it still needs someone that's Native-based to write those stories and report what's going on out there. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes it's easier to talk to uh, a publication like that because you know they got the traffic, you know, you got the viewer, the subscriber base, and a lot of people are going to read your article because of your audience that you have. Whereas with me, I still feel like I'm known, but at the same time, I still feel kind of like underground because a lot of people know that I'm out here, but a lot of people don't know that I'm out here. So that's that blend of trying to make sure that um, people are still seeing the stories that we put out are more centric to the native community as opposed to writing a hard political news that everybody's going to see uh, in the newspaper or on TV or in the basic regular news. Now I'm liking, um, you know, the channels like two, six and eight, you know, the Oklahoma city nation um, news down there that they're doing consistent, more uh, tribal news, you know, mm-hmm. which is fine. Um, but still we want to, you know, not so much compete, but kind of um, add to what they've done. So if they're writing a feature story on something that happened, we want to go back in on our end and kind of do a more in-depth article on what just happened and why, you know. Um, and that's kind of how I see myself in it. I know we still have a, a lane open for us because of, of what the other tribal newspapers aren't doing. Now, a lot of them are because of what they report has to be uh, government, you know, what do you call it? Uh, friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because their stories have to appease the council and the, and the chief or chairman. So anything they write has to be pro-tribe, has to be pro-community. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas ours, um, we're independent, so we can still write exactly what happened without having being biased towards a tribe or a community, you know, we're writing what's really happened. And I now know that a lot of people are really, they like the tribal newspapers, but at the same time, they know they're biased because of that fact. So they don't really trust them. They don't trust the tribal newspapers anymore because of what they can't write, what they're not able to write. Now, if something happened, um, say a tribe was caught in Beslin or the council members or the chiefs were caught in bezeline or caught harassing or whatever. They can't write about it, but we can. But at the same time, if that chief or governor knows that uh, the tribe is giving us ad dollars to keep us going, mm. they can pull that, you know. And we've had that happen to us in the past where we wrote a, a straight on a story, but it didn't put that governor uh, at that time in good light, but it was a true fact story. Mm-hmm. So when we posted it and put it in, this is when we were still a newspaper. Um, he saw our newspaper in his, one of their tribal plazas. And we had all, you know, at those days we had uh, our own newspaper stands in each store and stacks of our newspapers in there every week. So when he saw that in his store, he picked the whole uh, 
stand up with all the mag or the newspaper still in it, threw it out the front door and turned around to his manager and says, if I ever see this newspaper back in this store again, you're fired <laughs> because there was a story about him that was true yeah. in fact, but it, it didn't put him in a good light. So even today, that tribe is still leery about advertising with this because the, the, the chairman is still in, he's still in office. Mm. He's still in charge. So everybody's like, okay. So we learned the hard way, but we also knew from that, that, you know, there is a fine line, but at the same time, we got to put it down. You know, we got to post it. We got to write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because we now know the tribal newspaper that is owned by that won't do it, you know? So, um, but today there's a lot of topics out there that, um, we can cover that is now not so much pitted against one against the other, but be more fair in what we're writing about when it comes to the McGirt case or when it comes to MMIW and what they're doing legislatively, uh, topics like, um, healthcare or ICW, they're more, um, straight news because it's still, I mean, we can write it in a way to where, yeah, it shows the, the tribe not doing their, their job, but also shows these kids getting the help they need, you know? So we're kind of one part of the story. We're slapping the tribe around. Uh, but at the end of that same story, we're giving them props for doing their job <laughs> so they could, I don't know if they're able to see that in the story, but you know, uh, yeah. So we, yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand, but you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's not an opinionated story. Like most, most uh, people do nowadays. They do, for five, 10 minutes of hard news. And then the rest of the hour is just opinionated news mm-hmm. and it's their opinion, but they come off like sounding like it's fact based And half the time. Majority of nowadays it's not. And so I don't want to be that publication to where it's my opinion or my writers or editors opinion of what's going on out here. It's the actual, what really happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad you made it out of COVID though. I've heard a lot of, a lot of horrible stories about just a lot of businesses that couldn't stay afloat. And I mean, but it's, it's great. You found a way, you know, I wish everybody would have found a way, but man, that was so devastating to a lot of, to a lot of people that had just started something. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what happened. Like a year or two before that happened, man, a lot of people were saying, man, I just started this and now this happened. Yeah. And so it's like, like, what do we do? You know, it's like, but you know, I was wondering too. I was going to ask you that too. Like, uh, how 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 did you get past COVID? Because I know it affected everybody. Yeah, that's that's what I did. I'm not like I said. I'm glad the different type of uh, businesses came in to advertise in a time like that uh, because there was a need for it. And there's always going to be need for anything that that happens in any country. So I'm glad that those picked up. But before COVID and during. I've seen a, a handful of native publications go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Some that have been around for almost 20 years go, you know, and every one of them I looked at and I saw their magazines. I saw the newspapers, you know, it's like 70 pages of content, but no uh, pages of advertisement, you know, and I know what they're charging and they're not getting it, but they're putting out say 50,000, or maybe a hundred thousand magazines and they're spreading across 
the region or the country, but they're not having any luck advertising. So I looked at their staff and what they had. Some of those publications had 15 writers, but no sales reps. Um, some didn't have any. Some maybe had one, but uh, that one person, their job was supposed to cover the country, not just a region or a state. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard for that person. They're getting it. But um, when you got one salesperson and 20 writers, you know, that uh, overhead is huge because now you're just not talking about the personnel. You're talking about everything else in the operations of that business and even printing. Because if you're printing out 100,000 copies, that's probably twenty to 30,000 there. Now, on top of the personnel that you have, that's probably another two hundred to 300000 there. Mm-hmm. And you have no ad dollars coming in. You have no digital ads on your website. You have nothing coming in. But you're putting all that out every month, you know. So you have, who do you go to? Do you, it was, majority of them were tribal-owned, and it got to where those tribes got tired of footing the bill because they you know, they saw nothing coming in, so they all left. And I've seen a handful of those publications go. And I pride myself on knowing that the ad dollars here um, have been here and have been consistent to keep this magazine going. And I keep thinking with all these big ones going by the wayside, I always look at myself when that happens like, okay, what am I doing right? What am I doing that they're not doing? Because I'd like to be big too, you know, mm-hmm. but not at that cost. So how can I, how can I keep my costs live within my means and still keep the word out where a lot of people are trying to see it and, and look at what we're doing and, and still be consistent in that fact, mm-hmm. you know, still be consistent in getting the content out where people can read it. And it's, you know, uh, relevant to them because they know the people that we're writing about. But the advertisers they see in there, um, you know, it's it's not a lot, but it's enough to get you by, you know. Mm-hmm. It's enough to pay the bills, enough to keep going. Um, it could be more. You know, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But I think now after our second year away from COVID, um, sales are going back up. Um, subscribers are going up because of that. So... Uh, things are slowly getting back to normal, but I'm still not quite there yet. But, um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that that I know I can be covering, but because of my short staff uh, personnel, there's a lot of things that we're missing. And, you know, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, we'll get there. But um, I know what I can do now to expand what I have without costing me an arm and leg, mm-hmm. you know, and I know what those guys did wrong. So I keep, you know, that's good. I try to avoid those mistakes that they made. You know? Yeah. You've adapted to a lot of that stuff, right? Like how was it, how was it when everything started going digital? Cause at first, like you said, early two thousands, when you first started mm-hmm. and everything was just kind of newspaper, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything was written, mm-hmm. typed, published out. And I don't even think the internet was really like popping off back then with like blogs and stuff like that. Like, I don't think anybody really had like an online source for 
like news gathering, yeah. right? Like yeah. it was just all mainly like Tulsa World, the Oklahoman, and you know all these other newspapers that were around you know areas mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, and so. What was like that transition like from that? And then you slowly started seeing like everything that was happening with like the internet coming in and taking over. And then like, I guess like MySpace and Facebook mm-hmm. and now it's like Twitter. And I mean, there's all kind of stuff out there now. In the beginning, when we started out, there was still a lot of elders that liked reading, mm-hmm. like picking that up. Mm-hmm. And, and so because of that, we had a lot of people still interested in the newspaper. Like they liked picking something up and reading it not because we knew at that time it was still getting out there, but, uh, it was still, I would say probably like 70, 30, 70, 70% of the people still read the hard copy. 30, 30% of them were now getting hip to what's going on online. So we were doing a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. So we saw our traffic count and we saw what was being sold on the street when it came to the newspapers. And once we saw, that starting to uh, shift and start switching to where now it was more 70% people looking online and 30% of the people actually buying or picking up our magazine or newspaper. Mm-hmm. So that was dwindling. And we could see if we put out 10,000 copies every week and 8,000 get picked up and, and bought, we know we're doing good because there's a percentage of uh, what you can throw away and write off. After about five years, that went from 80% being picked up to uh, 25% being picked up. Whoa. So we were still doing that, but mm-hmm. we also knew the elders that liked it were the numbers of the elders were starting to go down. And we knew that younger guys, like uh, guys younger than me, that was getting hip to all the social media and the website, the traffic count on the website started going up mm-hmm. and the Facebook page and, you know, so that was starting to pick up. So we started seeing the trends of, okay, what do we want to do? Do we want to continue with the newspaper or do we want to roll everything over into the magazine format and put everything digitally on? Because now, um, even when the digital, we saw 80% uh, reading the online stuff from their laptop and 20% reading it from their phone. Today, it's more like 70% of them reading it from their phone and 30% of them reading it from the laptop. Mm-hmm. So that's changed from 2000. Heck, that's changed from 2010 to now, mm-hmm. you know, where it's the opposite. So, so we keep an eye on the trends, but, you know, how do we uh, stay ahead of it and stay, you know, versatile in, in all those platforms, you know, yeah, because each platform now we know has a different personality. Mm-hmm. There's a different audience for Facebook, for Twitter, for Instagram, for LinkedIn. Uh, I can't remember. I don't even know what else is out there that you can use. Pinterest, if you got products, uh, Amazon, Shopify, they're all in play now. Like, what what platform do you want to use the most to get more bang for your buck? You know, so business wise, I'm looking at all those, but I've learned a lot because I didn't know anything about business, let alone journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned a lot on along the way. I learned who, uh, th- what tribes to go to when it comes to sponsoring, uh, but also know what they can do economically. So 
I like being where I'm at in the magazine because I'm, I feel like I'm at the intersection of Indian country of what's coming in and what's happening around that area because I can see um, all the elections, all the tribal elections. I can see what tribes are doing economically, you know, and what tribes aren't. And that's more than what, out of the 39 tribes, I could say maybe five to six tribes in the whole state are being real progressive in economic development. And 20 of them are just dysfunctional because they're too busy in fighting. They're too busy fighting each other than trying to get things done in their area and in their community, mm-hmm. you know. And a lot of people see that, um, but a lot of still there's a lot of people that are in the loop see it, but a lot of people that are even in that same town that's not in the loop, they're clueless. They don't know what's going on, you know. And when it, and you know that because every time the election comes around, tribal election, they're going to their grandma, their aunties, or their uncles. Hey, who do we vote for? You know, who's this person? Who did we vote for? Mm-hmm. And that's how the the young ones are getting their or were getting their information was listening to them, but they weren't actually paying attention to the tribal elections and who these people were and what they stood for. You know, and that's still a problem that I hope the tribes can figure out and I'm sure they're trying to do something to figure that out but with social media nowadays that should be an easy no-brainer for the tribes to use their election commissions to use uh, to keep the word out and get them to encourage them to vote to come in and vote you know during that uh, COVID when all the tribes were handing out the COVID money Mm -hmm. um, Creeks had their election and I think they average about 4,000 tops on people that actually turn out to vote and there are 77,000 members. And so I think the very, so they had their election that year, that fall, but that spring they put out their second disbursement. And this time they said, uh, you know, we need to update everybody's uh, enrollment information before you get your second disbursement. And here's your website portal to do it. So when they handed that money out and it opened up on Monday, by Wednesday, they had 16,000 people enrolled and updated their information. And so they just so they can get their disbursement check mm-hmm. in two days, they got 16,000 people, you know, so they came out for the money, but they didn't come out for the vote, you know? Yeah. And that's always like, I always tell everybody like, all right, if you're sitting on the election commission, you know that, then why didn't you just do that all that? that disbursement and update and get them to vote on the day of the election. Sure. You know, you're hitting, you know, three birds with one stone on that. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, I don't know. They just, I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> I don't know. How, that's my thing. Like looking at everybody in the last 10 years, I'm always asking myself, well, what are they thinking, you know, by doing it this way? And I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it's different being at that table and in that meeting and the reason is why they did what they did. But when you're outside looking in, you're like, nah, they could have done it this way. It'd have been a lot easier, you know. That's never the case, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, voter turnout has to be, I think, first and foremost. Uh, because, I, and that's what I tell uh, my nephews and nieces, like, if you're getting all these benefits from the tribe, housing, daycare, uh whatever else they offer um 
then you owe it to yourself to go vote, to go find out who these people are because they're the ones making the rules to allow you to get what you're getting, you know, the disbursements, the health care, you know, all that stuff. They're making the rules to allow you to have that. At least you could do is go and find out what they're doing and, you know, how they're doing it and if they're the right people that you can vote for, you know. But, and I hope uh, some way, shape, or form that as a newspaper, we were writing a lot of tribal elections. We were writing about the candidates, who they were. We were getting interviews on the candidates and who they were. And, you know, every year there's at least five or six elections going on, you know, at any time in that year. I think this year is the same. And you've got probably your average in probably about three elections per month starting in June all the way to November, mm-hmm. you know. So you know you got elections coming up. Who are they? What are they doing? Because um, if you're get, if they're giving you money and you're taking it, as a tribal member, that should be your responsibility to at least acknowledge your heritage, your culture, your identity because because of your tribal member card. And I used to tell the council members back then that you know to become a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. to become a U.S. citizen, you have to learn certain things. You know. The past, you know, the Constitution, the the history of the of the country, and I, maybe they may force you to go take language classes to be learn how to speak English, you know. And I said, here, we don't do that to our tribal members. But now I think it might not be a, a bad idea, you know, to encourage your members to learn the history, learn the Constitution of the tribe, and because you're a member and you're taking money, learn the language. Learn the language of your tribe, you know. That should be, and I used to tell council members this all the time. That should be mandatory, you know. You want them to vote. You want the you want the benefits to for everybody to share in that. But you're not doing anything in return, and you're and you're frustrated every year because no one shows up for elections. Make that mandatory as a tribal member. Your responsibility are those three things, and it always goes off like, yeah, yeah, we should do it. Other ones are like, mm, that's a good idea, but, you know, we'll think about it, you know. So it's like, I think they should. I mean, because now with a lot of tribes losing their their elders and losing their history and their language because they're gone and they weren't able to pass it on, now you got tribes teaching language in the history, but knowing that those people that are teaching aren't really fluent in their language because... One, they didn't grow up, you know, taught, speaking it. So now they're having to go to recordings of people that were passed on it and try to understand their consonants, their syllables, and try to understand the pitch, the tone, on how they spoke. So, I mean, they're bringing it back to life, but it's still not going to be 100% because they only have a percentage of uh, speakers that they can learn from. And now... Now they're, they've learned it. Now they're turning around and trying to teach it through the website or through their um, videos that they can present in their language classes, you know, which is good. But, yeah, that was the dire back then because nobody was doing it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But it was it was good to have because you don't want to lose that, you know. And the fear then was if we lose it, if we lose our language and we don't teach it and we lose our history, there's a good chance that, the Congress can come back and deem you 
as a as a null tribe mm-hmm. because now you don't longer have your your identity. So why do we need to keep funding you? Because even though we still look at ours as a sovereign government in Oklahoma, to people in Congress in D.C., we're still a the domestic. Um, what do they call it? A domestic um, entity. Mm-hmm. We're not sovereign to them in their eyes. We're not sovereign because they're still feeding us in the federal fundings. You know that everything that we get. So we're not. We're just. We're not. We are sovereign because what we got, but to them, we're not really that sovereign because we're still dependent on the federal government. Some tribes are. Now, the big tribes gotten past that part, and I'm glad that they had because um, they keep their independence. And, I, and I'm hoping the medium tribes and the smaller tribes here can get to that point, too, where they're not having to depend on federal funding when it comes to um, ICW or housing or anything else social service wise that they're having to get title six, you know, to feed the elders that economically that they can stand on their own and, you know, feed themselves on the money that they make, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I've always been for economic development because uh, there's so many opportunities that you could take advantage of right now as a tribe that you couldn't take advantage of as a small business. Now the small business, if he was hip, he can go and get government contracts and partner with the tribe if the tribe was sound enough to see the opportunity. Like I said, the most tribes uh, here, out of state, they see it, but the small, medium tribes, they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to make what they can make that month. They're not even looking, you know, long-term, big picture. Mm-hmm. And elections kill it sometimes because... They happen every two years. You know, most tribes don't want to have a term of four years because they're they're worried that they're going to get the wrong guy in there and they got to live with it. Well, that's true, but same time, if you do a two-year term, that still hurts you because if you're trying to do anything economically, no one's going to work with you because turnover happens every two years, which means if I start with you today to work on a project in your area for your tribe, you get voted out, say that same year or next year, the new guy that comes in behind them, he can he can um, you know clear out all the projects that he was doing before, and then you're left holding the bag. So a lot of economic uh, investors or people that want to come in and partner with tribes, look at tribes. Yeah, they see the good side of it, but they also know that you can go in a, in a matter of an election. You know your project can be stopped and halted and lose everything that you've worked for up to that point. And so nobody wants to come in and help a tribe because of that very fact, because they're a two-year term, because their turnover happens so frequently, so consistently, that no one wants to take that, um, uh, they want to take that risk of doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so those mediums, medium and uh, small tribes are really on their own until they get, mature enough I'd say mature enough to figure out what the problem is once they figure that out then they got to figure out how to get the politics out of the economic development in order to do something you know um, it's frustrating yeah <laughs> yeah it's tough because I work with uh, 
our language program. And it's really tough because because there's like a lack of support sometimes or you just get like a, some pushback too mm-hmm. because it's not because the people I work with like they went to they went to OU they got their linguistics degree masters um they're debating on PhD and everything but I mean they're up there you know they're up there and they learn how to do everything and they're getting old recordings and a lot of great information from back in the day and they're gathering all of this up and they're creating curriculums on it the right way it was supposed to be spoken and <clears throat> and our last fluent speaker i think died in the 90s late 90s maybe yeah. and you know nobody thought to like record her i mean she was they were recorded but it's on a website for indiana university and those recordings on there but we don't have any as like a tribe at least i don't think but uh uh, correct me if i'm wrong anybody but i don't think we have any like personal recordings just laying around you know so kind of have to go back to these recordings from the indiana state And there's this guy that had all this stuff and he passed away and now we're getting like old stories from like back when like we were around nebraska area before removal we're getting all kind of information back to us and so it's tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff that they have to go through and so they've been at it for geez maybe 10 years they got they got everything situated they got graduated and they've just been working pretty much on their own trying to keep the language alive Mm -hmm. and so you know it's they brought me and this girl iliana along you know she helps out with like uh keeping track everybody and then she's also learning language as well to possibly you know be a teacher too you know and then um they got me on to do social media the marketing and everything and uh, just do like some videography work and whatever whatever is needed for me you know mm-hmm. for my services and and so they brought me along and I'm learning language too because I grew up uh, I took a Pawnee language class but you know as a kid you don't really <laughs> you're just kind of there to hang out yeah. and you know yeah like I'm learning a language I guess but I'm you know yeah. my friends you yeah. know so <laughs> and and I didn't really understand like how important it was back then because yeah I was a kid you know and I'd had other things on my mind mm. and so but now you know I feel it really is important because you know one I know like it, it can go away like that mm-hmm. A snap of a finger, like all of it can go away, and there's nothing there to, for it to, you know, help it be preserved. And so, you know, I find it important that, and, and I'm grateful that, you know, I was brought along to at least help, you know, in some type of way mm-hmm. with this project and everything and what they have and what they want to do. But I mean, kudos to them, you know, but there's been some pushback because a lot of people are saying, like, that's not how I was taught. Mm-hmm. that's not how it was said back then mm-hmm. you know i was taught it was said this way and it goes back to like a lot of it was like um like the proper word of like i forget the term we use but it leans more towards english 
mm-hmm. like the English language. And so back then we didn't even know what that was. You know, like we had to describe a lot of stuff and sometimes one word meant a lot of stuff too. And so, but now it's like, you know, as time went on, the word just kind of became lean more towards English, I guess in an easier way to say when like an R is like a D sound, the E is like a, and I mean, it goes on and on, you know, the alphabet and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's things like that or it's a lot of you know sometimes people just don't care and you have to like kind of engage with them and everything on you know why why it's important you know but that's just the cycle of it i guess because i really didn't start caring until maybe like late 20s when i finally started caring about like oh man like this is important you know Mm -hmm. this is who i am like where i'm from and I finally understand that, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I guess it's just a cycle of it too, you know, like, cause I honestly, I didn't, I cared, but I didn't care. Like I was like weighing the options every time, but now it's like, you know, I'm so happy that they're here, but I wish there was more support mm-hmm. to help them do what they need to do mm-hmm. and to help whatever needs to happen to get us to that point of like what you were talking about, you know, that maturity, mm-hmm. because we were talking about, um, there's a system, a, a system where it, um, grades your, I guess like how, how well your tribe knows your language. And we're on the verge of like extinction. <laughs> we're like, we're like right there. And like, it was so crazy because they're talking about like Dene, you know, Dene, they have so many fluent speakers and everything and they know their language, but they're, they're at the halfway mark, mm-hmm. you know, they're at the halfway mark of that grading system and we're like right there, <laughs> but it's crazy because they know so much and they're still at the halfway mark. They're not even at the top mm-hmm. and I forget what tribes are at the top, but I was, they told me that and I was like, that is so crazy. You know how they grade, you know, us like that in order to receive funds and yeah to include us in like that sovereignty and everything. So, I mean, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting to get into it and then like hear you talk about it. Yeah. Cause, um, a few years back there was these professors at these colleges back East, like for the Shawnees, for instance, they were from, uh, Ohio or Indiana and somehow they got recordings of some old elders that were speaking. So off those recordings and everything, they figured out, the consonants, the vowels, the alphabet. Um, and so they started writing a book on that tribe's language. And they were explaining how, to, how it's pronounced and how it should sound. So for decades, those books have been out there. And we finally got a hold of some of those books here. And we gave it to some of the elders that were still around that spoke Shawnee. And once they looked at it, they threw it back on the table. After looking at two pages at like, that is all. They, that's the first thing they said. That is all wrong. Mm-hmm. The, he's backwards on his consonants. He's backwards on his vowels. What he's saying here, like E stands for it, the pronounced E, it, you know, it's not true. You know, so, but you had these young guys that were looking at that book because they wanted to learn language and they were going around teaching themselves how to speak Shawnee in a, from a book that the guy had totally gotten everything wrong. So when he tried to go to the tribe and mm-hmm. talk to one of the elders in Shawnee, those guys looked at him like, we don't understand the word you're saying. And he would, that white guy was getting mad because he thought he was right. 
you know. Mm-hmm. How, how these Shawnees guys don't understand what a word I'm saying? I'm speaking 100% Shawnee to them, and they're not. Do they even know their language? And these old Shawnee guys are like, you know, you're wrong. This is how you say it. And, you know, and so we still have a couple of guys that are walking around that are trying to recorrect and revise that book, even though it's been out decades, you know, and tell that college, that university that uh, had gave that permission to publish that book, they had to go back and redo the whole book again because the guy was off. The guy was way off, but he was teaching people already that book and teaching them how to talk. And now you got, you know, no matter how many people in Ohio and in Indiana is thinking they're speaking Shawnee, but they're, they're way off when they're way off. But it's stuff like that. And that, that's why I think it's important uh, that we as natives tell our, tell it from our perspective, do it ourselves instead of having some professor or some uh, philanthropist, you know, tell us what they think we should know or and how we should say it because from what they learned just by a little bit, you know, and it's it's still, you know, you know, it's that whole history factor that we had all these publications and people telling us, telling the, 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 the whole community our own history. And we were, you know, I know a lot of the elders were looking at it and they're like, yeah, that part is right, but here's what, really have here was the original intent behind that history move you know and that they're not they're not telling everyone this is what really happened you know so those are the stories i like because it gives the true uh story of what became of uh, let's say the trail or let's say the wars that that came up you know still you still had uh, uh, force hill telling their version of what happened between the Osages and the Kiowas, you know, and they got pictures of it. But when you go to the camps, you actually hear what really happened, you know, and why they fought. And it was because some young hotshot Indian got brave and thought he can take on the whole tribe. And that caused a whole war between two tribes just because they were talking smack to each other and you got into it. Somebody got killed. They went and killed somebody else. Next thing you know, they're bringing the whole war party. They're looking for the whole tribe. And people got killed because of that. All because some young guys just thought they were the top dog and thought they can take on everybody. And, that, you know, when you hear stuff like that, then you think, well, that's common because I still know Joe Schmo over here. He thinks he's the toughest guy in town and he can take on anybody, you know. And he still talks trash and uh, that he's the toughest, you know. So we still got guys like that walking around, but. I can see why, you know, why that happened back then. If that's what, if that's the case, what happened, you know, but I like going to, uh, these little museums that, that you see at Bacon or you see, uh, at, uh, uh there was another one at, uh, Anadarko. They, the guy there, the curator, he could tell you anything about a sword or a shield that's in the exhibit. Um, the story behind it, you know, that's the stuff I like to report and post because a lot of people forget, you know, uh, there's reasons why they made the decisions they made at that time, because that's what they had to, to base their decisions on was the facts that was going on around that time, which is totally different from today's culture and society, because it was totally different back then on how people acted and how people acted in the, in public against their neighbor or against their community. There was a different thought process behind it. 
but there was also a reason why they moved. There was a reason why they fought. There was a reason why they grew crops a certain year. There was a reason why they danced a certain year. A lot of people forgot about it. Even our young generations forget about stuff like that. So it's good uh, to repost those kind of stories and remind people, here's the original. And yeah, you heard about it, but here's what really happened. Here was the thought process behind that. And that's what I want to keep out there so people can know uh, what really happened. So now not just basing it off of, you know, the third hand. You know, they, they actually read it and they said, oh, yeah, I know what happened, you know. Um, those are the those are the kind of stories that need to be reminded every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I like about the magazine, too. Like you were saying earlier, you know, you're independent, so you have a lot more free reign to do a lot of different stuff mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't really have. And and I was going to say, too, uh, you're talking about we're talking about uh, digital and the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so I try to man, my dad's about 84 and he's he's still like into reading and like picking up a newspaper and reading it. Mm-hmm. So now, like, Pawnee doesn't, I don't think they receive the Daily Oklahoma anymore. And I, I had no idea why, but he was just like, it doesn't come around here anymore. And I, and my thought was like, well, it's probably because, you know, everything's moving to digital now. Mm-hmm. But see, like, you talked about how the elderly, like, you know, that group of people is possibly going down. You know, that, that majority of people is already, like, not like passing away i guess and then the numbers have gone down so much that they probably just don't think of like it's it's worth driving all the way over there to give them papers and everything when they're probably not getting a lot of um profit i guess back from the community because it's Mm -hmm. a small community you know and there is like a lot of our elderly has passed on you know because of covid and all these other things that have gone on Mm -hmm. and and so I keep trying to, I told my dad that and he said, no, that's not it. I was like, I'm pretty sure like it's because like things are digital now. And I was like, on your phone, you could probably just subscribe to the daily Oklahoma and I'm sure you can, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they can get a game on their phone, they'd rather play the game than actually pull up a news article mm-hmm. unless someone sends it to them or unless someone tells them about it. But, uh, the digital side, yeah, and it's the economics because if you're that big and you're sending, say, 20,000 copies to that small town and then, say, 5,000 only get picked up, you spent close to 50,000, 60,000 a month to go there only to get 10,000 in return. So if you look at the numbers, you're thinking, okay, Whoa. it's costing me a lot to go out there. How about if I just do it digitally where... You know, I don't have to pay for printing. I don't have to pay for distribution for someone to go out there and deliver it. Uh, I just cut all that cost out, and now it's costing me three thousand to put the same stories out there on digital. Then, you know, I'm saving, you know, seventeen, eighteen thousand a month by doing that, mm-hmm. and I can still get the subscribers to subscribe for a dollar or whatever. Um, so I'm making a return on that. Uh, you know. I'm not caught and I'm not paying out a lot on cost. This is the economics. And that's how we looked at it back then for the newspaper was, yeah, we were sending out 10,000 copies and only getting 3000 of it picked up. That was a huge cost in printing 10,000 copies only to get a third of it back, you know, or less or 
25% of it back. So, yeah, for us, it was the economics because we realized that was going down, but the digital, the traffic count on the web, people were reading more online than they were actually picking up the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So it was like a common sense kind of a deal, like, you know, stop, you know, spending 20000 a month in print uh, and just go digital and save that cost. And you still got the same type of advertisers advertising each week or month. Um, so you're not losing money on that. You just, you just saved yourself $20,000 a month by not printing. And so that's, you know, the economics of what that happened. But now you got, and this is what happened to me in the beginning or in the middle was because our traffic count was so high, we had, we were averaging anywhere from 150 to 200,000 viewers a month. And when I told ad agents at that time, what we were doing and they could see it too by their their uh, analytic uh, programs that they had. They were like, "My gosh, man, you should be making ten, twenty thousand a month if that with that traffic count, with that viewership that you got. This is how much you should be generating." And at that time, it was just me, and I'm like, "Okay, show me. If you think I could be generating ten to fifteen thousand a month, um, show me. Be my social media guy for me." And I'll split the revenues with you and, you know, let's make that money. If you say that's there because this is my account, we all, we can all know that. All right. Sign the agreement. They don't hear from them for three months. They're gone. They come back on the third month and say, you know, this is going to take a lot more work up front than we thought. So let's do away with our agreement and splitting the revenue. Can you just pay us uh, a monthly retainer fee of $2,000, $3,000? And we'll still do the work for you. And so I looked back and like, wait a minute. You just told me that we can make fifteen to twenty thousand a month. And you agreed to split that with me. So if we did fifteen, that's seventy five hundred a month. And now you're saying you don't want to do it and you want to settle for two to three thousand a month. Why? You know, mm-hmm. if you already told me we can make this money, but now you don't want to do it and just that just told me like, okay. That tells me you can't do what you say you can do um, and you don't want to work for it and you just want a handout. So if I paid you 2000 a month to say you could do all that and we don't after six or seven months or a year and we, that doesn't happen, then I'm out uh, $24,000 for that year on paying you on you on what you told me you could do. I'm getting to where now if someone tells me they can do it. I'm like, fine, let's see it. You know, I'm not going to pay you anything because I'm always telling that sad story. I'm, I don't have that money. I don't have a budget for you. Mm-hmm. But if you can do what you say you can do, and then you can make that money on the back end. You know, it's unlimited for you. And they always come back after the third month and say, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't get the traffic that you want. I can't do this. So can you pay me, you know, a retainer each month? <laughs> and it's like, I've worked with so many companies before the magazine was that because I was an outside sales rep. A lot of people that were seasoned salespeople f- were let go when I was there because they stopped selling. They stopped working. And a lot of them were on commission. A lot of them were on base plus uh, commission. And the ones that they thought were secure, their jobs were secure, were on salary. And so the guys, the owners let those guys go first because they were salary 
which meant they weren't selling as much as they were that was equal to the salary. So if I'm paying you $80,000 a year, I expect you to sell $80,000 a year so I can make that money back and pay you what you're, you know, what you've done. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them weren't doing that. And they were there 10, 15 years. They let them go because they stopped selling. They got, they got soft. They sat there in their chair. They didn't go out and sell. And so I saw that and like, okay. So I would tell them that the owner is like, okay, don't pay me the salary. I don't want the salary. I like the commission. Um, when I got good enough at the newspaper back then, it was a, a base plus commission. But at that time, I was just living off the base because I didn't know how to sell. But after so many months, I went straight to commission because I was making more in commission than I was, like I said, in my old job. But I'd rather have it that way to know that whoever hires me, you're going to make your money back on, on me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sell just as much as what it costs to have me on, on payroll, you know? So if you want to pay me 50,000 years, I want to make sure that you're going to get $50,000 worth of sales from me. So it don't cost in the end, it don't cost you anything because you're paying me with my own money, so mm -hmm. to speak. And that's how I've always done it because, um, I grew up, I grew up with my, my grandparents raised me and we lived on the farm and it was always, you know, if you don't get up and go out in the field and work, you're not, you can't eat that day, you know, and there was no fast food chains back then. There was no, uh, place you can call up and order food. Your food was out in the garden. And if you didn't tend to it that day or that week, you didn't get to eat. So we always, you know, made our own food, but in the wintertime, we made our own money by, by cutting wood, uh, you know, feeding cows or hauling, you know, hauling hay to one rancher to another. So we can, we were selling our hay bales, but we were making money in the wintertime just to feed ourselves and take care of ourselves. So we are always doing it ourselves and not having to depend on a paycheck. If we wanted to get money, we earned it. If we wanted to eat, we, you know, we did what we had to do to eat, to feed ourselves. So I look at that sales outside sales rep as the same way that if you're going to bring me on, you know, here's what I can do and here's, and I'm going to make sure I do that. So it doesn't cost you nothing to have me on here. You know, um, salespeople, ad agents, you know, I've seen them all come and go. I still haven't found one yet that can, um, you know, make their own money and, and do what they're worth, hmm. you know? Um, and it's hard. I mean, sales is hard anyway. Yeah. You know, it's not like digging ditch is hard, but it's, it's freaking, it's an art, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a personality, you gotta have a style and you gotta have a, uh, you know, something that people can relate to that like you enough to buy from you, you know, because if you don't have that, you're, you know, you know you're not gonna last long in sales. Mm -hmm. And I've had salespeople come and go, uh, that didn't last long just because they thought it was easy. These were labor guys that worked out in the field. They thought I can come in here and sit in air conditioned room and make a few calls and sell because it's easy. But once they got in there and realized this is harder than I thought, you know, they can't, you can't just bully, uh, anybody to buy an ad from you or buy sponsorships from me with your, you know, uh, when you're not, when you don't know how to sell, you don't have that, you know? And when, when the ex told me that 
in that 20 minutes time. I went to the bookstores. I got all the sales books I could find at the bookstore and I started reading like art of selling and, uh, you know, how to be successful in sales. And they're like, okay, here's how I need to talk. Here's how I need to approach them. Um, so in a short amount of time, I mm-hmm. saw my sales grow because I changed my style to be a better salesman all because of what she said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I wanted to prove her wrong. <laughs> I had fire. I like, I, <laughs> I'm going to prove her wrong. <laughs> so, and that's what I did. It's like, and I, I told, uh, I forget who I was talking to. One of my uh, aunts is like, I hadn't had a job, a, a, a clock in job since 2005. I've always been on my own, made my own money. And even if somebody hired me, I made sure they got their value. They got their worth uh, of paying me. But even with that, I brought in, I made sure I brought in what they paid me. I made sure that they got a return out of, by hiring me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't just a lame, lame guy, you know? So, but I've always been that way. It's like, I'd, I'd rather, you know, you look at it like a, a hunter or a farmer, you know, a hunter goes out and kills and eats what he kills that day. I'm kind of like that, but I'm also like a farmer because I like to plant the seeds, cultivate my, my clientele work with them in the long run because um, then I, that shows that I'm a good neighbor. I'm good at what I do, but I'm also fair at what I do um, to keep you around. And there's, there's been advertisers in the magazine that's been there since day one, you know, and it's because of the relationships. It's because of the, uh, the you know, the, the common ground that we can find together that what I'm uh, putting out there each month and what they believe in, you know, because there isn't, uh, there isn't a lot of publications out here that are hundred percent native content, hundred percent native businesses. And if you look through the magazine, all the advertisers, they're all tribal or, or small business owned, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, and I did that because I wanted to make sure as a state board president that there was an outlet that these native small businesses can go to, to get exposure, you know, and at that time, a lot of them, like myself, wasn't savvy in uh, social media and marketing and um, and looking at the outlets where I can go to get exposure on my on my business, on whatever I was doing, whether it was a product, a consumable, or a service that I had. Uh, today, they have that opportunity, but still, and I'm finding out too, is that a lot of small businesses out here know about social media, know enough to how to market don't have the time to spend on it fully full time because they're worried about everything else. You know, if I'm an artist, I just want to paint, you know, I just want to make art. I don't want to have time to look at my books or have time to look at my social media and how much traffic I can get and figure out how that works, you know? Um, and I've ran across a lot of those, uh, artists that yeah, they're good at what they do, but they're not good on the business side. Mm -hmm. So where can I come in to help them? market their product, you know, and get them more exposure, get them more sales. Cause that's what they're out there for is the sales. And they like, they like doing what they're doing, but, uh, you know, they're not selling what they thought they could be selling, you know? And so when I see that, I'm like, okay, um, I have these outlets that can help you. I can do what I can, but I still need a social media, my guy on my side to where I can help you sell the most of your artwork, you know, um, whether it's a copy or whether it's the original. Uh, 
now you got all these businesses that are uh, making their own foods or making their own furniture accessories or their own clothing styles and lines of clothing. That's great, but they're good at that. But are they good at selling, you know, and that's where I want a team of uh, people that can help, you know, Lady Jane out here with her clothing, with her skirts, with her dresses, and help these guys with their furniture accessories and and, and get them some sales because that's what we're all in business for, mm-hmm. you know. So that's always been my goal is to, uh, one, be that outlet for Native American content, but also be that outlet and get the exposure because there's close to 2,000 Native or tribal-owned small businesses in the state that a lot of people haven't even don't even know about, and there's not a lot of marketing outlets for them. But I want to make sure that this place is the outlet for them, whether they have a product or whether they have a service, that we can come here and get your exposure, uh, do a feature story on you, let people know who you are and what you have to offer. Now, from that point, it's up to them to whether to buy from you or not. But at least we did our part in making sure that that customer or that tribe tribal department knows what you have to offer. And if they like it enough, they'll buy from you, you know. So that's our goal is to make sure that those businesses have an outlet and have a place to go to get exposure. And that's what's been keeping me going this whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. I mean, you're always willing to help market, help help out you know, our people and everything. And, you know, it's great. And I mean, you even, uh, gave me the opportunity to go on or like push the podcast on your website as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then shout out to, um, native chalk talk, you know, shout out to Rachel. I mean, cause she's dope too, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I think she linked me and you up, I think if I'm not mistaken, yeah, yeah yeah i think she yeah. linked us up and uh you know and i mean that's just how it goes too i mean we all just try to help each other out as much as we can you know like hey you know if you like this maybe you'll like this you know and i'm always like hooking people up with like where to go or like if i try to help as much as i can mm-hmm. like if i don't know anything then i'll i'll try to get somebody else's attention and be like hey you know my friends are just interested in this and you're about as close as it is, and you'll probably have no more information than I do, mm-hmm. would it be a problem if you help them? If not, that's fine, too. But, I mean, everybody's so willing to help, and that's, like, what it all what it's all about, too, is, like, supporting each other. Yeah. You know, and making sure, like, we all eat, you know, and mm-hmm. we all get set at that table, you know. And, mm-hmm. I mean, and there's a lot that goes into I mean, you talk about social media. I mean, it was tough, man. For me, it was really tough because – I just thought, oh, I'll just post it and, mm-hmm. you know, write a little thing and then mm-hmm. push it out. But, I mean, you got to make your own page and then you got to create your Instagram. And now, like, TikTok is, like, big. So you have to learn how to use TikTok. And I've had to learn how to use it. Like, it's not just posting videos and then, like, a bunch of hashtags. Like, you got to strategically know how to, like, reach your viewers and then, like, the thing that whatever you're doing – hits those viewers mm-hmm. and then you have to know like you have to know your analytics and i didn't even know what that was like i had to learn like what that even was and mm-hmm. i was like dude there's so much that goes into this you know like yeah. and so i had to learn like how to do all of this stuff and then like even graphics too like i i did my own i i did like some graphics here and there but i had to really learn how to do my own stuff and so 
I just thought of it as like, you know, like, uh, I don't really know who to call on, but you know, I, I'm going to try to learn as much as I can and just try to be this octopus guy with eight arms and do like every job that I possibly can do. And, and it's worked out because I've learned so much. And then like, I've met so many people that have helped me as well. You know, I try to align myself with people that are a lot smarter than me Mm -hmm. or better than me at things that I want to accomplish and do. And they have me and they give me tips, you know, like even with photography, we had a group of photographers and I didn't, you know, I knew a little bit, but I didn't know like, like uh semi-advanced work. And so we had this little group and we'd go out downtown and we'd just shoot. And then the advanced photographers would be like, Hey, you know, set your ISO here, you know, in daylight and even put this on it to make sure like the shadows correct. And then it was a learning experience and they were nice enough to just give us that info. It wasn't like, well, all right, here, here's what you do. All right, now give me a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I was waiting on that too. I was like, oh, he's probably going to ask me for money after this. <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, that's, it's always been my goals. Make sure whoever I come across, I try to understand their business and mm-hmm. what they're doing, their goal. And then if I know somebody out there, I'm always going to talk to somebody like, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you I talk to so-and-so. They got what you need, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm always trying to do that. If I can help you directly with your business to help you improve on what you're doing to make it easier for you or uh, give you something that you didn't see uh, that you know how to do, that's one. But to help you indirectly by word of mouth, uh, telling people about who you are and what you do, that's two, you know. And we know everybody just like because they're not being seen in on TV or being seen in social media doesn't mean you can't trust them. It just means you don't know who they are, what to do. And a lot of people, you know, take time to look around first, look at you first, look at you different ways and look at your product different ways before they even try to buy something from you. And it takes them say months to even yeah they've seen your ad on on social media but they haven't got uh, you know courage enough to go look at your site and see what you have to, how much your prices are and what you can offer mm-hmm. um that takes a minute it's like yeah there's a whole science and art behind social media but still most natives are always leery about buying from another native-owned company because they don't see them enough you know if i and when i was working um, before the magazine, I was working for an outside for tribal. Well, it was a native company, but they weren't tribal owned, but they had a tribal name on their title. Um, and so my job as an outside seller, my territory was Oklahoma. So my job was to go to all the tribes and all of the military, uh, uh, government offices and sell them office supplies or office furniture. And a lot of the buyers of these tribes were, yeah, we we know what you're doing. We know the buy native stuff. You know, we got to buy from native owned companies. We get that. But, and a lot of them would tell me the reason why we don't or I don't buy from native owned companies because if I did, you could be gone next year. Your company, not not you, but your company. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I spend, take all that time and effort and focus on one company that isn't going to be there next year? Then I'm gonna I'm safe with Office Depot 
or Office Max because I know they're going to be there. I know the prices are right. You're still kind of high, but I know you're native owned. I know you can give me a discount, but I'm still leery because you might not be here next year. And that was their reason. That was their main reason because you might not be here next year, your company. And I thought, yeah. And they always told me, well, we've done this before. We had small businesses come and go, and that's that happens. And that's why we stay with the big, you know, the big ones because we know they're not going anywhere. And so I was like, crap, okay. So now I got to work. Um, uh, I got to work to get, you know, your business, you know. And so it took a while, but they're always leery. When a new business comes out or it's new to them, but they've been around a lot longer. I mean, there's still a lot of people out there that know about Native Oklahoma Magazine but don't know. You know, and I can, and that shows in your analytics, that shows in your traffic count and your, who's, who's reading your stuff. Because if I compare that to the actual native population of what my viewers are and what the actual population is, I'm at 1%, you know, and I know a lot of businesses, even though they're say they're a member of the chamber or they're getting exposure, they're already got work with some tribes their viewership is lower than mine their follower base is lower than mine so now i've been around 10 years uh these guys might have been around that amount of time or shorter but they still don't have the traffic that i do but they're getting a lot of exposure but they're not getting a lot of people buying you know and it shows on your analytics though who's actually looking it's like window shopping to who's actually buying from you and that so you got 100 viewers mm-hmm. but you only have two or three people actually buying so how do i up that then you got to spend more money in boosting your ads or boosting your content and knowing and watching that and it's all a guest play because there's no guarantee on on your spend dollars and it takes months to actually see that return you know and it drives a lot of people away that don't have the budget like that to put in to get more sales. I mean, they know they need sales. They need the traffic, but they also know that it's going to take time and I can't afford that right now. So I'm going to just get a booth together and go to the, go to the powwow and sell there. And hopefully I can get some sales mm-hmm. or I'm going to go to a local conference or a local fair and get some sales that way because, uh, they're, they're in that wheel that, what do you call it? That rat wheel where I got to do all this work to get a little bit. And if I get off, that wheel is going to stop and my sales are going to go down. I'm not going to be able to, but I know I need to because that's where I can make more money at, but I I can't afford to, Mm -hmm. I can't afford to get off this wheel just yet. And a lot of companies are in that spot, you know, and in that show through COVID who was in it, who, who made it through and who didn't, but the ones that made it through, they're still limping. You know, everybody's still limping. That if you made it through COVID as a business, uh, you're probably still limping today. As a small business, you're probably still limping today. But you're you're getting better. Um, you know, your limp is not as much as it was two years ago. But you're getting better. But it still hurts. You know, it still hurts you in the pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always a constant grind, man. Mm-hmm. And everything is changing all the time like for me it's always like what's the next new thing in social media mm-hmm. like you know it was tiktok 
And then there's talks of like TikTok being banned. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm already like, well, if it gets banned, then what's the next move after that? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of like Facebook, Instagram, even YouTube, they use the, uh, the, I guess the real, the Mm -hmm. real tech, tech, whatever it Mm -hmm. is. And YouTube calls them shorts. Instagram calls them reels. I think Facebook calls them reels too, Mm because they're the same company in that Mm -hmm. meta. And so, but they only did that. I heard they only did that because TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so I guess they're banking on TikTok to be banned. And then once that happens in Instagram and Facebook, I heard, I don't know if this is real or not, but I heard that they're going to get rid of those. And so they, they're either going to get rid of them or they're going to get rid of the part where they pay creators mm-hmm. because a lot of people make money from reels and mm-hmm. on Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. And and so they take away that once like TikTok will get banned, which in TikTok, they're just giving you money like you have to reach a certain status of like, I think I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to get to 100,000. So if you're listening, go follow at reservation underscore mysteries. <laughs> but if you get to 100,000 then you could receive like tips all the time, like I think people can tip your um, videos mm. once you release them. And so I know we get gifts when we go live. We just don't, we just don't go live all the time like we we should but that's because of scheduling and i'm still trying to get on like like figure out youtube like i'm still trying to figure out like because i know tiktok you have to use three hashtags mm. it's no secret anybody i'm not trying to gatekeep i tell this on my other podcast too where it's like you have to use three hashtags that are talking about what you're doing and then that will help your video transfer out into the whatever to whatever for you page people are about it'll hit that algorithm and so with youtube though i'm still trying like i can't find anything like definite on that but because i don't know if it's the hashtags or if it's the um oh the categories you pick categories on that one and sometimes i don't know if you pick both of them or if you pick categories and you hashtag it or you just do the categories so I'm still like iffy on like how your shorts and even your vids can get a lot of viewers because back in the day, I mean, YouTube was so new that you could just post like anything and it would get like whatever views it could because YouTube was so limited. But now everybody's on YouTube and so there's so much content fighting for that spot of like mm-hmm. viewership. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's 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 a lot tougher now to try to figure out like well you know that's why i'm always like what's the next move in like social media because now it's like the attention span of people is like three seconds long mm-hmm. so you have to catch them in that one second of like look at me watch me do you know like mm-hmm. pay attention and then they watch like whatever 30 seconds or a minute mm-hmm. because now you have to sh- you have to cut your 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 videos down and like that's what people are saying about movies too like some people are like i can't even go to movies no more i just like lose interest after like the first 15 minutes and it's like dang that's so crazy because i grew up watching movies Mm -hmm. i still love movies i'm gonna love movies no matter what but you have to adapt because everything changes like all the time and you have to be on top of your game and it's like so i'm always looking at like just i'm just googling like what's a possible next major app people mm-hmm. will use like mm-hmm. right like people thought it would be rumble but it's not really because everything's still kind of the same 
and there's one called Clapper. So Clapper was made when TikTok was po- possibly going to get banned. So Clapper's still out there, but they still have a lot of bugs, and TikTok's still there. Mm-hmm. So nobody's really transitioning to Clapper. Mm-hmm. So it's always, I'm always like, what's what is it? What is it? When, when's, when, when should I make the move? Because I want to be the first one there and start pumping out videos as much as I can. <laughs> I stopped... Uh, I stopped with Twitter. I, I can't. I couldn't get into Twitter when uh, <laughs> when Musk bought it, mm-hmm. and everybody on that he was firing everybody, and the compliance committee that was in Twitter uh, jumped ship. And so I told I told whoever we were talking working with like stop posting anything on Twitter when it comes to the magazine, just because there's no one on that end watching it anymore. Mm-hmm. All those guys that were the compliance committee or whoever they were, uh, you know, making sure everything was within their parameters on, uh, you know, the, the language or the content or whatever. I was like, uh, because I don't know who's on that other end anymore. We stopped. We stopped Twitter. Um, now they're wanting to ban TikTok altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some um, social media guys say, I should, I, for the, my store and website i should use tiktok once they once i started hearing uh the government was going to ban tiktok i said well nope i'm gonna stay off of that stay off of twitter now i'm just linked you know uh instagram and facebook and the website i think those will always i think the website will always stay yeah because now you got people talking about these uh, uh bots or fake accounts that are coming up. Um, and we've seen this in the beginning in our analytics where, yeah, our stories were going out there to people that we knew that needed to read it, but they were also pick, getting picked up in in Pakistan or some country in Africa. And I'm thinking, okay, these these people that are looking at it from those countries has to be the, what do you call it, the the hackers or whoever. The just, bots. The, you know, the bots. They were like, okay, then... Because, you, yeah, you want that traffic count, but you want to make sure that it's real. Mm-hmm. You don't want a lot of bots in there or a lot of people that are from other countries placing uh, fake uh, accounts to get your subscribers or bots or whatever. You, you, you know, so I got to find out who's who, who's real. We used to get a lot of people from Europe looking at our stories, and and, uh, and we used to get calls from, from people for that were from Europe that were going through Oklahoma, they would call up and say, Hey, uh, we're coming through Oklahoma this month, uh, this weekend of that month. What are the uh, tribal events going on? Cause we want to go. Mm-hmm. And so I was glad that that happened because I knew it was real. They're actually wanting to go see something. Uh, but the people, the stuff that we're getting now from all these other countries that are picking up and subscribing or picking up and looking at our store, um, they're not real, you know, and that's what I have to watch out for. So some of those, I know platforms will come and go, but, you know, you always have to stay with what works. And in, even then, you have to keep an eye on that, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it was easier when it was when you had stands and you could put your magazines out there or your newspapers and you could kind of tell who was reading who wasn't. Mm-hmm. But here on the platforms... Yeah, you can still see it, but then you have to ask, are they real? You know, uh, are they the real 
because I want to be able to show my, my numbers to my potential advertisers and say, Hey, we're actually in your area and here's how many people reading it. Here's how many people is watching it in your backyard. So you definitely want to be in front of them, but I can't say that anymore. Knowing that half these people that are on here are, are dummy accounts, you know, um, uh, you always have to stay and that takes a full-time that's going to take a full-time person to monitor and stay on top of that for you all the time and in my position mm-hmm. i can't afford to stay on that 24 7 and then be able to do everything else within the magazine mm-hmm. um that's just yeah it's going to take and that's why i always thought it's mm-hmm. going to take a team to grow uh, what i have um that can stay on it and monitor it consistently because i don't have that kind of time to do that yeah, I mean, it's good to have if it was real. But I started watching these shows about how people fake or create these fake accounts and these dummy bots and traffic, and it's just all like crap. Okay. <laughs> Getting catfished. No. Yeah, and I started watching Netflix on these documentaries of the actual employees that worked at Netflix or worked at these platforms and said, uh, yeah, we, we created it for this intention, but here's how it actually turned out. And it's scary. It's dark, and this is where social media is going. Um, it's not for. It's not what you thought it was in the beginning. It has a whole n- new uh, hidden agenda behind it. And I'm like, crap. Okay, so now I got to be leery about where I post, not uh, not what I post, but where I post as far as the platforms that I use uh, to get people to see it. Because I know now. Uh, like I said, 80% of the people look at everything that I put on social media or the website, uh, are reading it from their phone, mm-hmm. you know? So I gotta be, you know, like, the, like you said, the videos, uh, yeah. Um, it, everything, um, it, yeah, the, the attention span of everybody is going down. Um, the impatience of everybody's going down The the, what you post, uh, could always be construed as it's biased or it's non-biased. Uh, it could be wrote off as, you know, he's making it up or it could be wrote off as uh, it's a political agenda. You know, whatever excuse they're going to use, you got to put it out there anyway. But I want to make sure that, and I think I have been for the last 10 years, is that being consistent in what we put and where we put it at. And it hasn't changed, you know. Uh, at least I could say that we've been consistent the whole time and everything that we've done and we've been fair with everybody so Mm -hmm. um yeah uh we're not a fad you know if i if i was a fad we wouldn't gone five years ago you know so but this the things like this has a longevity you know has a has a staple that it is in a part of the community and from through covid knowing that you know uh, made it through COVID that there's a reason for the magazine. There's a reason why it needs to continue, you know, what it's doing. And people are still reading it. People are still looking at it. Not a lot of people, but, you know, like I said, I want to make sure my organic postings where I'm not having to pay for boostings or whatever are genuine mm-hmm. that people want to le- look at it and read what I have, you know. So. I think, like, you're, like, you're you you are the right person to have that you know like the longevity the because you're 
even when you've got the the job of being a salesperson, like you had no idea what that was. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, you heard these words of just, you can't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. You heard that and you wanted to prove them wrong. Like, and what'd you do? You went out and you got some books and you read them and you became a salesperson Mm -hmm. and you did it. You know, you learned the craft rather than just like going through the motions and possibly not learning it or maybe learning it. Like you went out and you, you created an opportunity for yourself. Mm -hmm. I mean, you already had it, but you, you, you gave more and you invested more into that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's inspirational because like a lot of people don't have that, you know, like a lot of people like, like myself when I was younger, you know, a lot of people counted me out, you know, like, you can't, you know, you're not smart enough to go to school, you know, like you're probably just going to be around here, get in trouble, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it was. And, and I was, I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself and I believed him, you know, I was like, well, dang, you're probably right. You know, like, because honestly, like I didn't give my full efforts in like school. So that was like my first idea of like, well, if I can't really cut it here, in like a public school then how am i going to cut it in a college right Mm -hmm. like how am i going to be able to even possibly graduate from college and then go on in the world and then like do whatever it is i'm supposed to do Mm -hmm. but you know i luckily stroke of luck you know found my way out and i went to college i didn't finish because i owed some money and I just fell in love with other things, you know, and I, I did other things and I had a lot of other options and I tried a lot of stuff and I failed and that sucked. But I had learned like failure is always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like I have to learn that I had to learn that, you know, I got to bounce back from that. I got to make sure like, OK, uh, let me sit back and try to reevaluate that so that the next time if I try it or I do something possibly like possibly other than that then i can you know move forward and be successful at it you know so it's a lot of trial and error to get where you're at and that's like what i see with you you know you talk about you know you're doing all the right moves to make sure this is like consistently going and it has been going you know you've done everything to where it's here it's still here and you're always thinking like you're always like trying to be ahead of like what's like what's possibly next mm-hmm. right and then you're constantly getting yourself ready for that mm-hmm. and so that's like the kind of attitude you need that's the kind of like hustle you need mm-hmm. you know and i always say like you gotta hustle you have to hustle you have to read books you gotta talk with people you gotta connect with people you gotta man there's you gotta network you, there's so many things that go into something like running your own business or doing something you love right like yeah, you love it, but you also want it to, you know, be there for you as in like, uh, what's the, what's the right word? I just don't want to stick making money off of it, but, but like being able to prosper from it, I guess mm-hmm. you want to be able for that to happen. Even if you're breaking even, like you're out here doing what you want, right? You're not having a nine to five. You're just kind of like doing it. We're doing what you want to do and having fun. Mm-hmm. And yet like, yeah, there's downs to it but there's a lot of ups to it too Mm -hmm. right so that's what i see you know like and i'm glad we had the opportunity to sit here and conversate you know about you know the the magazine and everything you had coming up till now i mean like 
I knew there was history, but I didn't know like the true history of the magazine from being a magazine from a newspaper, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was cool to hear like you you went to college and everything for something totally different, <laughs> and you just you you ended up you know owning you know a top rated magazine you know and mm-hmm. and that's awesome, dude. That's so cool to hear. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and you don't know it in the beginning because you're you're focused on trying to make it happen mm-hmm. you know and you want to make it work and at that time i saw that there was nothing else out there so the lane was open for me to take it you know and and and, and do it and so uh, i was determined to get that done um i had my own fuel to do it but it was i was glad that there was outside fuel <laughs> that helped me push push a little bit further and a little bit harder because uh, yeah, there's going to be days where you're questioning yourself in the beginning. You question mm-hmm. yourself a lot in the beginning. You keep yourself up and you're wondering because, and you're doing it because, you know, first of the month is coming around. That means bill time. You got to pay the bills. So am I working hard enough to where that, where that money can come in fast enough to pay for what I'm doing, but also pay my, for my lifestyle, for the way I'm living, you know, um, in the beginnings, you're always going to have that um space to where you're stressing over all this work that you're doing and there's no money to show for that month or next month but you know you're working towards that but yeah you you see the light at the end of the tel- tunnel in two three months time but that's not going to help you today when you got kids to feed and you got bills to pay <laughs> it's like okay yeah i'm making money for tomorrow but how am i going to make you know make it today you know mm-hmm. um and that's where the stress comes in. That's where, like, okay, you start doubting yourself, or you're questioning yourself, and you know, if you're on the right track or not. But you, you, half of you say you are. The other half says, yeah, let's go, let's go look for that. Uh, you know, and this is when that, that beginning happened for me. I've always, you know, I always heard that saying, like, if if you don't devote yourself to it 24 hours a day. It's never going to happen. If you, if you love what that is doing for you, then focus on that. Don't go get a, a, a side hustle job because that's going to take away your attention from what you really want to do. You know, And at that time, I was a consultant. Uh, before I started the magazine that year, I was consulting for a company out in Arizona. So I was spending uh, one week a month out there working for them. And when I was back home I was focusing on the magazine you know trying to get sales but somewhere in that it got half and half or I was torn or I was focused on half of my job uh, for the magazine and then another half for what I was doing out in Arizona um, and it got to where okay what am I going to do am I going to stay here and starve and get this magazine off the ground or am I going to move myself to Arizona to where I got a nice salary working out there and I knew out there uh yeah someone's paying me uh security I got it but how long is that gonna last in Arizona because I'm not from there I'm you know I live here mm-hmm. um I know I'm only gonna be out there a couple of years because I get homesick I can't be out of Oklahoma that long so or stay here make a living for yourself pay yourself and continue to do what you're doing here and after that, it's like, okay, 
this is my dream, my idea. It's going to make money, and it's making money. Um, but I got to devote my time and effort to that. You know, if I distract myself by a side job or working out there for that company in Arizona, then it's always going to be half-assed. You know, it's not going to be uh, what I want it to be. And so I got to devote, yeah, the first two months, yeah, I'm going to starve. But that's fine because I know at the end of the tunnel, on the third month, fourth month, I'm making my money back. So, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, I can do it. I, yeah, I got uh, an eight-year-old I got to feed, but, you know, we're going to be fine. You know, and it did. I mean, it worked itself out. And going up, you know, as a as a chair of the, of the chamber and being on a lot of committees on putting conferences together, on putting uh, uh, golf tournaments, concerts, um, job fairs, powwows. Um, I put all, I helped put all those together and yeah, you stress about how it's going to turn out. If anybody's going to show up or how much money you're going to make on that event, you always stress about it. But even at that, it always worked itself out. So in the beginning, in my thirties and forties, I was, or thirties, I was always worried about, oh crap, I paid all my bills it's the fifth of the month and I got $5 left to last me the rest of the month. And so what am I going to do? <laughs> How am I going to eat? How am I going to get around? I got $5 to last me. Now I got an eight year old staring at me. He's wanting to eat tonight. And I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? And you stress over those kind of little things in the beginning, but you're always surprised and thankful that it worked itself out. And you're wondering how, how did I get through that month? Uh, knowing how broke I was and you look back at those and you think, wow, that was, it was so simple times, but you don't, you know, now that you've gone through it, you don't remember how you forget how stressful it was, uh, staying up and trying to figure out how you're going to make it through that month, you know? And, but it's always nowadays I tell everybody the sun always comes up. It always mm-hmm. works no matter what you're doing and you're worried about it it always works itself out. And that's what the old guys used to tell me when I was first putting powwows together with them. And I was always worried about the money and how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for the singers? How are we going to pay for the drum? How are we going to do the, how are we going to pay all these categories out? And those old guys are sitting over there. Don't worry about it. It'll work itself out. Somebody will show up. Something will come up. Some, even on the day of the event of the dance, you know, someone always brings something and there's always somebody, to give you what you need to help you pay for that category or to give you what you need to get with the giveaway, you know, and they always did. It's like, you know, I don't know how we did it. It worked itself out. And the old guy standing on there like, you know, <laughs> shrugging the shoulders. Like I told you, it, it always works itself out. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be months where you have a stack of blankets that you got from everybody because you were part of their giveaway. Then there's going to be months where you have no blankets because you gave all your blankets away in other giveaways that you did, but it, but it's up and down. You know, you're going to have a stack. You're not going to have a stack. You have a stack in the beginning of the year and at the halfway through the year, you're, you're out of blankets. But that second half of that summer, now you got a stack of blankets. You don't know where it came from. People give you that stuff. But if you're in that rotation and give and take, give and take, it always works itself out. You know, um, money's the same way. I mean, yeah, you got to focus on 
the bad times because in, in even in the magazine there's a lull you know there's a slow there's a slow season and you have to you have to forecast for that but you also have to prepare yourself for that low because you know it's coming so everything you make that that bulk of the year you got to put some aside because you know that slow lull is coming to make sure you can make it through those months you know um just making sure you got enough grain in the barn to to get you through the hard months you know uh, that just you know now you learn that but in the beginning you know no one tells you that and you're stressing your ass off you're like oh crap how am i going to make it through the slow months mm-hmm. and i don't have enough grain in the barn you know uh and then you learn over time how to manage that and then how to prepare yourself for stuff like that but no one ever think you know um that it's all for naught and it always works itself out you know yeah people have a hard time i've i've started fresh on my own three times in my lifetime and i'm not even 50 yet (laughs) (laughs) and i know what it's like to be uh you know flat broke and nothing in your house and you got kids with you know looking at you to eat and they're hungry i know it's like to have all your bills paid and still be broke and i know it's like to um sleep on a you know uh floor with just blankets because you know life happens you know I, i've been through all that you mm-hmm. know, so i'm i, I could tell everybody with a smile you know it works itself out you're going to be down today but uh it's only temporary everything's temporary you know living in the moving back in with your parents is only temporary if you want it to be mm-hmm. um going through a breakup uh going through a, a unemployment and laid off it's all temporary you know it just you know, that something like that happens and that means something else is getting ready to happen for you. You know, that's, you just got to think in those terms and not, you know, the sky's falling every day, you know, and yeah, it may look like that, but uh, no, no, the sun will be back up in the morning. What are you going to do? You know, thank you for this. I enjoyed our talk. You're welcome back anytime. Just let me know, man. Like, uh, I'm down to just have a conversation again, man. I mean, I enjoyed this. And uh, let everybody know where to follow you and keep up with you and everything. Yeah. Again, I appreciate you letting me back on or let me on for the first time. I'd, I'd love to come back and, and talk more about um, the current state of Indian country from, from the magazine's point of view and let the readers know that aren't hip to tribal politics or tribal economics that I can shed some kind of insight of, uh, you know, the background of what's going on, you know, so. Uh, I know we talked about this before about having Native Oklahoma having its own podcast and mm-hmm. and then at the beginning I said no to it, but after I started after I said no and started thinking about it I'm like maybe it's not a bad idea. But I knew at the same time everybody was starting their own podcast up. You know, it's like mm-hmm. everybody oh, yeah. everybody was doing this. It. Like oh, I'll, I'll wait until <laughs> let that die down first, and then then I can come back. But whatever I start, it's going to be long term because the news is long-term. I mean, there's, you're never going to run out of content. Mm -hmm. So any means I can use, um, uh, outlet wise to get the news out and report what's going on. That's, that's what I'm gonna be able to do. But I appreciate, you know, let me on and, and letting people understand, uh, about the magazine, the owner. Um, it's a free publication. They can go to native Oklahoma.us subscribe online for free and they get, um, seven to ten articles a week on what's going on in Oklahoma, you know, and there's a lot going on, you know, 
economically and politically. And uh, if you're not in the loop, get in the loop and, you know, get plugged in and so you can see what's what's happening out there, you know. So, yeah, NativeOklahoma.us, uh, Facebook page, Native Oklahoma Magazine. Uh, like I said, we're on uh, Instagram as well. So we're always posting stuff on there um, for free to, you know, like I said, it's free. You can subscribe to it um, and get plugged in. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, let me know when you want to come back on. We'll schedule it and down to help however I can. And uh, once again, thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it, man. I had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of, and this was great, man. This is a great talk. And uh, I'm glad I got to listen to some knowledge. So uh, it was great, man. It was really great. I do, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. And everybody go follow him, subscribe, um, check out the website and um, it's free, you know, it's a free publication, everything like he was saying. So get up to date on everything going on around here. You know, there's a lot of great, interesting things happening and the magazine talk, talks a lot about everything going on, you know, so, and there's also products on the website as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's always willing to help out anybody. So reach out. I mean, that's what we're here for. You know, we're all here to just help each other and support each other, but go check them out everybody. And make sure you're following Okie podcast on Instagram at Okie podcast. Uh, check out or go follow Okie podcast on Facebook as well. You can add me on my personal Russell Sun Eagle on Facebook. Uh, my personal on Facebook, my personal on Instagram is at Russell 49, uh, go follow or go subscribe to Unsolved Mysteries of the Reservation on YouTube. Uh, follow us at Reservation underscore Mysteries on TikTok. Uh, we're also available everywhere on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, rate us, review us. Uh, check out Turtle Island Boys as well. Myself and Robin Jackson have started that podcast, so go check us out there. And... Oh, check out our website, okiepodcast.com. So, yeah, until next time, everybody. Peace.